everybody. Welcome to That's Sick, the podcast about sick stuff. Hi. <laughs> it's Sunday and we're all feeling a little weird. Yeah, it's the sun is out. We are not creatures of the daytime. We generally don't record with the sun up. That's yeah, true. That's... And also it's been winter, so the sun's been going down very early. Yeah, it's weird. We're just, I hate it. We're just really confused. Anyway. Anyway, I'm your host this week. I'm JB. I'm Heather. I'm Justine. So uh, thanks, thanks for joining us on this lovely... I guess you'll be listening to it on a Sunday because you guys just can't wait and you are listening a second that you can. Yeah. So this is episode 32, correct? This is 32. I'm going to be 32 in a couple of years. Uh, yeah, we'll believe that. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> or anyway, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. Um, I'm a little nervous. No, I'm not. I'm not nervous about anything. But before we get into all of that, what sick things were happening to you guys this week? I don't know. I don't know. What the hell question. was that look on your face? I just burped. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like trying to burp off Mike and it like, you know, came out. Okay. You look like you ate a stink bug. It was silent. It was a, you know, you know, one of those ones where you don't know if there's going to be a little bit of a vom that comes up too. <laughs> burp with change. Yeah. So I had to, you know, just proceed with caution in how I let that burp escape. Okay. That's my grossest thing. That's pretty sick. There you oh, go. That's fair. Justine, how about you? Uh, I don't really have one. Uh, my coworker, Liz, tried to text me one, but the picture she texted me, I don't know if my phone fucked them up, but they were all blurry. So sorry, Liz. Uh, we're just going to have to circle back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I like that business talk. I can't. The, the I, synergy of it. You should hear me talk at work. I sound like a different person probably. I love it. Oh, my God. I love that. Like everybody has their own like work voice. Their, their business, like if they work with the public or, you know, I guess if you're got to be professional in some way. I know. I mean, I just mean more like all the jargon. My workplace is very casual, so I sound the same. I just use a lot of jargon. <laughs> That's all. You've heard my my customer service voice. Yeah, I have one too, I'm yeah. sure. Sounds way too cheery. Yeah. Oh, oh, I had one. I was talking to you guys off mic about this, but I can share it with the public. Uh-huh. So, yesterday I was visiting my family and my oldest nephew he is eight years old. He can figure out how to do most things that an, most people can do. He's, he's pretty smart. Uh, their bathroom ran out of toilet paper. And instead of changing the toilet paper or getting more toilet paper, he just took a big old dump and didn't wipe his ass. <laughs> and then he went to go poop again later and then was mad that he didn't have any clean underwear. <laughs> yeah, kids are, kids are gross. Kids are gross. Oh, boy. Kids are sick. I think that's pretty disgusting. I don't have anything that could top that this week. Oh, God, no. Ugh, God. But do you have something that can top that? Can you guys top Owen's poopy pants? No. No. I mean, in terms of your story, this is my segue. No. Oh, I don't. Oh, it's not going to be. Oh, all right. My story is going to be grosser than that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mine's more. Mine's much more interesting than it is gross. Mine's very nasty. Mine, I hope, will make your stomach like um, turn. Oh, good. Yeah. Cool. Sick fuck. I love it. Yeah. Well, in that case, I personally think I should go first then. Okay. So we can, you know, build towards the super gross. Yeah. Yeah. Let's build the momentum. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. So the overarching theme for this week is underground. Okay. That's gross. I hate it. Yeah. So uh, I and I specifically, I will be talking about, well, have you ever heard about the people who live underground in New York City? Yes. No, I guess not. That's great, because that's what we're going to talk about today. 
All right. I've heard of them, but I don't know very much. I know. I guess there's a documentary about them, but I've never watched it. I just watched it. Oh, awesome. Just like me last week. I did yeah. the organ trade and I watched a documentary. Yeah. Um, it's great. So I'd actually, I'd read a bunch of articles about these, uh, about these communities in the past, which is why I wanted to do them. Um, and knowing that it's not gross, like, other things we've talked about on this podcast in the past. I think there's certain elements to living underground that are inherently gross, but um, this is much more about just like learning about something interesting. And so I just like want to make it super, super clear. I'm not implying in any way that these people are gross or that, you know, people to be laughed at. They're human beings. So and a lot of times they're under there out of um, necessity. Absolutely. And we'll yeah. get in and we'll get yeah. into that, too. So there are people who live underground in New York City and ha- and there are people who've been living underground in New York City um, since at least the 1930s. They tend to live in abandoned subway and railway tunnels and they're technically homeless, but being underground does give them the opportunity to build a home. And it's 100% real. It's not an urban legend. These people have been like a documentary has, has been made. Anthropological studies have been done. Many, many articles, books have been written. And like I said, I wanted to talk about these communities because I think it's really fascinating and to dig into some common ideas of what it must be like to live underground. These people are human beings. They're not monsters. And there are a lot of r- rumors about them. So we're going to just get those out of the way before we even go any further. So some people say they eat rats. That's probably not true i mean i guess if you were like really super hungry and that's all you had then fine but big fucking deal so what um some say they're cannibals they're not some say they ride the alligators that live in the sewers are there even alligators in the sewers at all i don't know because that was not my topic (laughs) (laughs) that will oh that's definitely going to be a topic because that's great so Um, we'll figure it out in the future but uh, tbd they don't do that some Lame. some people say there are communities that live up to seven levels below the ground. That's not true because there's nothing that goes down that far. Yeah, I didn't think so. That sounds like um, no, they don't. fucking Futurama. Like, you know? <laughs> so, well, yeah, you get to the hollow earth after the subway. Yeah. <laughs> so like the guy that uh, the guy that actually debunked that one, he suspects that that came about as like a misunderstanding of the difference between like if you say the equivalent of seven stories. That's technically possible because that has to do with like distance, but that doesn't mean there's literally seven levels of yeah. Like you're not going down to Dante's Inferno, right? The fifth level. (laughs) And then some people say that those who live down there have so completely adapted to life underground that they've developed their own language, their own like whole society. They can see in the dark and they have webbed feet. And I'm not totally sure what that last one has to do with living underground, but that's the rumor. From swimming in sewer waters. (laughs) Okay, there we go. But it's false. It's not true. Oh, it's not true. So, but what about the um the whole society? It's not. I mean, they they form communities, but it's not like self sustaining society, right? It's not like they have their own version of yeah. It's yeah. No, it's not that organized. It's not like New York too. No. Underneath underground. No. It's not like the what like the rats of Nim. Yeah. Oh, the rats of Nim. It's not like that. It's such a great movie. I should revisit that as an adult. I have not yet. So what's it actually like? Okay. Well, first it's dark. Shocker. <laughs> it's cold and it's dark. <laughs> 
Um, according to those who live underground, it's something you do adjust to over time, although they don't develop super dark vision or anything. It's just, you know, just like anything else. If you're used, you know, you, you get used to something. Um, I'm not trying to jump the gun, but like, do they come out in the daylight? Yeah. Often? Yeah. Okay. I would think that you, I would think you would have to. Yeah. Um, so to get light, there are a few options. Uh, some of them, you can have flashlights. Uh, sometimes light will come through vents from above ground. But they also, and this comes up a lot, uh, they tap into electricity that runs through the tunnels. So, oh. and I'll get, so I'll get into that, but they can run lights that Clever. way. Clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's like, a, yeah, uh, stealing electricity. I'm all, yeah. That's pretty yeah. fun. Doing crime. So, <laughs> so one former tunnel dweller named Mark Singer, um, he lived underground in the 90s and he's the one who filmed the documentary. Oh, about cool. his neighbors. And I'll get into him a little more later towards the end. According to him, the tunnels are ghostly. He said, you feel as if you're being watched. It, it takes time for your eyes to adjust. There are stretches like no man's land. You'll get a cluster of 30 homes, then a stretch of nothing. Those areas are so dark and the air is thicker and heavier. You feel like you're being followed. Oh, so like, so like sounds creepy. So there's yeah. like, OK, so small little pockets and then like stretches of nothing and then little pocket. Mm-hmm. That's really creepy. Yeah. So like the feel of a haunted house when you're waiting for something to like come out and get you. Oh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, thanks. Damn, um, you have to be really have a lot of fortitude to to live down there. Absolutely. Um, and they do. If you when you, if you watch watch a documentary, you read some of these articles, um, you'll see people are quoted as like the people who live down there. They're quoted as saying that they've seen they've seen grown men be too afraid to go into the tunnels and like Ooh. be in there. But um, men are weak. Right. But <laughs> although, on the other hand, it is mostly men who yeah. are living in the tunnels. That's um, very, good. Most of men are, are homeless. Uh, relative, I mean, there are women who live down there, too, but right. there seems to be more men. The thing is, it's really like from what I read, like the, the people who live in there aren't necessarily like they're not they're not bad people. And they're not trying to hurt anyone. It's just it is just the, the dark and the isolation just is like really unnerving for many, many people. Yeah. And I can imagine it can get disorienting. And if you yeah. get, are down there and you don't come above for a few days, because I do know that there is a thing called uh, ICU delirium where patients who have been in the ICUs that don't often don't have windows, they lose track of day or night. And then it makes them hallucinate and not have a great time. Um, so can that happen? Have you found that? Uh, I didn't really, that's not something that um, I came across because honestly, it seemed like most of the people who live or lived in the tunnels would regularly go above ground. That's good. So it, it's so it's not like they were hiding down there and didn't ever want to come out. It's mostly, it's a place for them to literally like build a home and have, and have their belongings and it's, and they feel safer. Yeah. Um, it's like a place to sleep. It's a place to retreat to. But These aren't Kimmy Schmidt mold mole women, right? Exactly. And <laughs> I was and speaking of, so uh, there the colloquial term for these communities. Um, a lot of times you'll see mole people, and even when I really yes, and even when I first that's how I understood it to be when I first started looking into this. But I realized pretty quickly like that's really derogatory, and I don't even you know I'm gonna, my Google Doc is still titled mole people, but it's that's I'm realizing like that's not a great way to talk about them. So how do they refer to themselves like in the documentary? They, they, they don't. They're, oh, just, okay. they're just people who live underground. I didn't know if they had a inclusive community term. 
No. And so, and again, there's not, they don't identify themselves as like a people. Okay. It's just they're the thing they have in common is that like they're they're homeless for whatever reason, and they've chosen to live underground. And I'm and I'll get into like and you know what that's like and reasons why people choose to do that, but you know that they don't. Yeah, it's it's not like they're there. There's no unifying like creed or anything like that okay. really. Okay, so it's dark. It's dark and it's a little spooky. It's also dangerous, but in a different way than being above ground. So in the tunnels, you have to watch out for trains. Obviously, because even though they tend to seek out spaces that are in abandoned areas, they are also, you know, live trains running nearby, too. And one of the in the documentary, they they speak to like a transit authority officer who's like, you know, obviously they're not in favor of people living in these areas. And the officer talked about like the prevalence of um, these the people who living living down there getting hit by trains and like getting killed like fair amount of time, like. I don't think it's like a ton, but it happens. Is it more or less than pit students? <laughs> Stupid pit students. Someone just died. I know. Oh, oh I didn't know that. <laughs> it it did just happen. I was actually at work that day and you could see, I walked into my office at one point and my coworkers are like, look, look, <laughs> look down oh, no. out oh, the window. And there was like tons of ambulances and police cars, mostly police cars all around and then there was that pat bus and it was there for forever and then so we were you know kept uh looking at the news and looking at the news and looking at it. we were like yep sure enough it was unfortunately a pit student she was only like 19 years old it was really sad it was weird because it was like a sunday it wasn't well, even a busy time well and from what it sounded like it wasn't even like like she got hit by like she was standing on the sidewalk. Yeah, and she got was hit like by part of the bus. Yeah, oh, like wow. getting off the curb. Like mm-hmm. frankly, the same way I got hit. Like, oh yeah, that did happen. You, you guys remember I got hit by a bus? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it was like the same way, except like I, you know, just got like winged. You know, I did like go down. It did knock me down, and I did bleed off the side of my head. But like I got an instant X-ray and CT scan and stuff, and I had I had no damage. Yeah. No internal damage, thank God. Well, I always have to watch out if a semis or buses, especially if they're making a turn near you, walk, pay attention and back the fuck up because... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have statistics on how often it happened. Yeah. So. Sorry we went on a bus tangent. So uh, you also, living underground, you do have to watch out for, uh, for patrols from police and transit authorities. Although, again, as compared to being above ground, you're not running into police nearly as often. Oh, yeah. Um, You actually run a much higher risk of being robbed or assaulted above ground, and you're more at the mercy of the elements. So underground, it does get cold, but you don't have to deal with snow or rain or blazing sunshine or wind or, or what have you. You're like relatively protected. It's kind of sounding ideal in a way. Like, well, I you should watch. So I'm going to like I this documentary. It's called uh, Dark Days, and mm-hmm. it's on Amazon Prime. Ooh, so I should I will watch. Yeah, it. so if you guys have Amazon Prime, you watch it. It's short. It's only eighty one minutes. Oh, okay. And it's very good. It's very good. Yeah, I'll check it. Definitely check it out. It's because it's entirely there's there's no um there's no editorializing whatsoever. It's entirely the um, like the, the people who live down here. There. They are yep. unedited, kind of like yep. You know, and what's interesting is. I'll just like talk about it now, even though I like have him at the end because I talk about a bunch of people who lived underground. Um, Mark Singer, he was originally he like came to New York as a model and had he had an apartment in Alphabet City. And so, you know, he was not not homeless, but he hated uh, the, he was like disillusioned by how artificial that life was um, specifically in modeling. And he 
in the, at the time when he was living in Alphabet City, he would see all these like homeless people everywhere. And he was fascinated by them and wanted to get to know them because to him, they just seemed like more real. And over time he got to know them. And then he eventually like caught wind of like these people living underground. And he was really drawn to that. And he eventually moved underground and became homeless wow. and gave and gave up his, you know, modeling and yeah. And lived under there. And that's when he decided he wanted to make a documentary about these people who are now his like friends and neighbors. And so um, and he had never he had no background in journalism. I don't think um, he had never like filmed anything before. And because of the subject matter, he needed to keep like the circle of trust pretty narrow to avoid getting anyone in trouble. The circle of trust. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So basically, I imagine like you wouldn't want to like have anybody that was shady and that might report you to the cops. And you know, so he got advice from like different friends of his. Like one actually, he shot the he shot it in black and white, which make gives it a really great quality too, because it's mostly underground. Too Um, spooky. But the reason why he shot it in black and white was because a friend of his said, uh, "You better fucking shoot in black and white because you don't know what you're doing, and if you do it in color, you're gonna fuck it up." Oh yeah, like it's too easy to fuck it up. That's true. Um, and I've so, heard that. So he did that, and it and it make, makes it look iconic. And then most of the crew actually like his, like the people who lived underground formed the crew, and so like they were holding boom mics, and uh, people with construction backgrounds were like building tracks to put the dollies on, and they were like tapping into electricity to like run the lights, and they and they all did it together. So oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So now so now when you go watch it, you can like know that that's how it came about so anyway back to what is it like underground let's talk about sanitation and hygiene because mm. i know it's one of our favorite topics yeah yes um so underground obviously there is a lot of dirt and dust and of course rats so that means disease can be an issue especially with rats we all know they're a vector for diseases also asthma and other respiratory issues are can be a problem under there and then as for trash, there's just there's a ton of it throughout the tunnels. And some of, you know, a lot of that, you know, people are people. Some people are clean. Some people aren't clean. So individual encampments, just like everyone else, some people keep their spaces very clean and tidy, you know, and then other people don't. Uh, and a lot of the times it's like the the drug addicts are a little more likely to kind of leave Be shit over. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to be polite. <laughs> And so, and I, while I use the word encampments, that might make it sound like, you know, tents or whatever, but many tunnel dwellers actually take the time to build out little houses with walls, doors, and a roof and discarded, yeah, (laughs) discarded furniture and home decor round out the homes. Uh, One in the documentary even had a dartboard on the back of a door. Hey, that's gotta have your hobbies. (laughs) And as I mentioned earlier, it's relatively doable to tap into electricity in the tunnels so um, one person I read about ran a refrigerator for his food and could run a heater. Uh, another regularly used an electric razor. TVs and hot plates were also common appliances. And uh, one tunnel resident named Brooklyn, she cooked up a meal of tunnel stew for a visiting journalist using chicken soup, various packaged sauce mixes, and leftover vegetables from a market above ground. Wow. And according to the journalist, it tastes pretty good. Hey. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot more electricity than I thought they did have. Yeah, it's actually so again, like when you watch a documentary, like there's a like they um, the one guy actually talks about how he like had been down there for so long 
And this, I should also say, this documentary was filmed in the 90s. It came out in 2000. One guy said he'd been down there for like five or six years and that at one point they actually had running water, but that was like short lived. So that was my next thing. They don't have running water down there. Like, I think any running water is like very circumstantial and or random. But the electricity was abundant and he and he he was like kind of laughing. He's like, I got I got too comfortable down here. Like, it's a really comfortable existence. Oh, yeah. Especially compared to above ground. So back to the running water, uh, brush your teeth. I saw someone in the documentary basically using bottled water, spitting into a bucket. One person I read about, he was fastidious about keeping his clothes clean. He would take them up to a laundromat above ground regularly. Showers. Uh, I saw, you know, in the documentary, one guy took a shower by pouring a bucket of water over his head. Another one, it, I couldn't really tell where he had gone. It almost looked like he was it was raining and he was in the rain, but it seemed like he was still underground. So I don't know if maybe it was like pipe, like a leaky pipe that was like super leaky or, you know, how like the subways are always full of water that's constantly getting pumped out. Yeah. So I don't know if like it was that unclear. And then uh, urine goes into bottles and poop goes into buckets and they empty them out. Where? Um. So in the documentary, um, what I saw was the guy take the poop bucket and... <laughs> Take it not very far and dump it down what looked like a drain, like a storm drain kind of thing. But I think that's the kind of thing that must vary by like where you are in the tunnels. Yeah, by convenience. Yeah. But it didn't I didn't get the sense that um, like you're, you're not pooping where you live too. like <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, yeah, like camping underground a lot of, in a lot yeah. of ways. Depending on what kind of provisions you have is how comfortable you are down there. Exactly. And what your tolerance is, I suppose. If you're all right with pooping in a bucket and throwing it out, I mean, yeah, you're going to have to be, I guess. Um, and then as far as smells, the one article I read, the journalist described it. They just repeatedly said that it smelled like death. Oh, oh, oh that's that's the grossest part, actually. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> like rotting meat. Um, oh. And it seemed like this is mostly from dead rodents oh. in the tunnel. Oh, yeah. that's sick. OK, that's sick. That's very gross. And then sometimes it's quiet and other times you hear the rumble of trains running around you, depending on where you are in the tunnels. You might even see the blinding train lights and feel the wind rushing past you. That would be really scary. Like, you don't know if it's mm -hmm. is it coming from above or is it going to come at me like type of deal? Well, I mean, if you know where you I mean, if you're living there, you know. Oh, but, but they can change stuff all the time, can't they? Well, they're not on the tracks usually. Like, like they're in like these abandoned areas, the old platforms yeah. and shit. When I was watching the documentary, like it seemed like a constant rumble where they were at. Oh my god, could you even get rest? I guess you get used to it. Like people yeah. who live next to airports or what have you. Hey, I lived I lived in Lothrop right next to Children's and when Children's was still there, Children's and Presby. And I like there are literally helicopters taking off and landing outside my constantly. dorm constantly. And I got used to it. Only lived there for a year, though. And that's not like living underground, obviously. But yeah, he gets used to anything. So, Heather, you pointed out where you mentioned earlier, like this actually doesn't sound so bad. Um, yeah. So I live underground. Um, I mentioned how tunnels can provide security that living on the street can't. Um, but what about shelters? Like, why, why not just go to a homeless shelter? Um, it turns out that many of the tunnel dwellers have given shelters a try and prefer life underground. So one person pointed out that in many shelters, you're still at risk of being beaten and robbed. You also have to comply with strict rules and regulations, which can take away a feeling of independence and sometimes dignity. Um, underground, you can live with your partner. You can live alone. You can have a pet dog or cat. 
a lot of the people in the like so I should several people in the documentary had dogs. You can come and go as you please, and you've way fewer people around to fuck with you and your things. Yeah. I mean, as as much as it would probably be safer in many ways to live in a homeless shelter, I can see why, you know, like yeah, you can't like women and children stay in their own shelters and men have their own shelters. So you can't stay with your partner. So like it's that's very difficult in many ways. Like if you are in a heterosexual relationship and it's yeah. It's and and yeah, there are a lot of strict rules about curfews and things like that, and it's rough. And if you're an if you're a substance, if you know if you got substance abuse issues, you know you're up the shit creek without a paddle because yeah. this country is really awful when it comes to that. Yep, and like I said, um, some of the um people who lived underground, they had had bad experiences in shelters where they weren't, they didn't feel safe. Yeah. They had they had been ins- assaulted. They had had their things stolen from them, and to them, living underground felt enormously safer that's pretty uh yeah profound that statement you know and like i said before underground these people they kind of a lot of them take the time to build their own little homes and you know put them together the way that they want and you can really tell that some of them were quite house proud too oh yeah like a little trailer park sorry is that well, I no, I mean, I think I think I, I see your point. I just I don't meant think that they trying, all kind of live close together. Correct. I don't think you were trying to be condescending. No, no. no. I just, yeah, I just meant like it's kind of like a close little community, and everybody's got their own little like mm-hmm. apartment, and yeah. you know, like their own little apartment complex. Yeah, there, that's exactly. Better. Like condos. Yeah, little, little condos. Yeah. In some enc- encampments, there are sets of basic rules that create a sense of community support. So, JB, this kind of goes back to a question you had earlier about how like along something about like how close knit they are yeah right so um it it varies by encampments and there and there are no it's not like laws like a society but basic rules include leave people alone if they want to be left alone don't be loud don't take things that aren't yours and don't be stupid or you'll get kicked out it sounds like um yeah like don't be a douchebag rule yeah exactly exactly i Um, like it and (laughs) yeah those yeah. are good rules to live by. Yeah. And uh, many people who live underground, they don't consider themselves homeless. They That's their to, home. Right. That they, they've chosen, they see themselves as chosen, a, having chosen a different way of life. So. It's almost like being a squatter on public land. Yes. It's really what it is, literally. It actually, it reminded me, I started thinking about, uh, I mean, it wasn't exactly like it. There's an episode of Mad Men. It's in one of the later seasons. And Betty goes into the village um, looking for it. Doesn't matter who she's looking for, but she ends. But you know, you know, if you've watched Mad Men, you know Betty's yeah. a very sheltered, bougie suburban character. Mm-hmm. And so, for her character to come into the village at this time in the '60s in in Manhattan, she's absolutely shocked by what that life is like. And she comes upon a, an apartment building that's filled with squatters, like you just said. And so, actually, as I was watching this documentary, a lot of a lot of like what they were doing in terms of like how they were cooking food, like how they described making money, which I haven't really talked about yet, but it, it just like reminded me of that. And mm-hmm. it, it is, it, it's, it's kind of like squatting in like one of the last places that people can like squat in the city. I mean, it comes down to, there's no affordable housing. Correct. That's what it comes down this to. Is, this is a housing crisis. It's not yeah. these, it's not these people's fault in any way. It's the, <laughs> the fucking housing crisis in the economy. It's and- like, how many options do you have? And again, at the end of the day, it's like, it's about maintaining a sense of dignity and independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and they, you, they're humans. You can't fault them for that. Very understandable to me. So on that note, who are these people who live or lived underground? So Ooh, they're like, for the mo- they're just like anyone else who becomes homeless. They are humans that fell through the cracks and they are doing the best they can. 
And so I, these obviously aren't everyone who lived underground, but I just have some notes about a handful of people. So some of them are from an excellent article uh, written by Anthony Tally on a site called Nar- Narratively, and then the others are from the documentary Dark Days. So um, Brooklyn, who I mentioned earlier, she was the one who cooked up that stew. Uh, she lived in the, there's a tunnel running under Riverside Park, not technically a subway, but it is actually one of the more, has been one of the more populated tunnels over the years. Um, she lived there from 1982 until at least 2015 when the article was written. I'm not sure where she is now. She initially found the tunnels by following feral cats Aww. and is possibly one of the longest term underground residents. In her former life, she was a Marine. And, she's, and she still leaves food out for the cats. Raul, a drug addict, shaves every day, and he's the one who washes his clothes regularly at the laundromat. He's a child with an ex-girlfriend, and when it's time for a visit, he short-term rents a studio apartment from a friend in Washington Heights. Oh, wow. Jessica wound up underground after bad experiences at a homeless shelter. She convinced her sister to take her daughter to avoid having to give her up to foster care. She lives in a tunnel not far from the McDonald's she works at, where no one knows she lives underground. She is optimistic about getting back on track and reuniting with her daughter. And again, this is from a few years ago, so I hope I hope that happened. Yeah. Bernard Isaac was more one of the more famous residents of the Riverside Tunnel. He went broke after years of partying away his money and found himself going from a West Side penthouse to the Riverside Tunnel. In 2009, he described the tunnels to a journalist as a sanctuary, a place to find peace and take a break from the chaos. He worked in maintenance in Central Park, and he was also an unofficial leader and spokesperson for the Riverside Tunnel community, doing outreach and talking to journalists. John Kovacs was offered $50,000 to turn his experience in the tunnels into a movie. He ventured back out into life above ground after 16 years living underground, but was back in under a year after the movie deal fell through, and he couldn't cope with transitioning to life outside. Dang, 16 years underground? Yeah. I imagine you would get way too used to that. Yeah. And remember, and, you know, again, these people would go up outside all the time. Really, that's how they would make money and get food. Like, right. you'd go, um, they'd collect cans and bottles. A lot of times, that's how a lot of them made money. Um, they would scavenge for things that they could sell. Actually, uh, apparently, gay porn is really, like, one of the best ways to make money, to sell gay porn mm-hmm. that they had found or, I'm guessing, stole, but whatever. They would you know, scavenge for food. That had been like thrown out from restaurants, and some, and then some of them had day jobs. Like Jessica worked at McDonald's. Bernard worked in Central Park in maintenance. So, yeah, yeah, but like the rent's too goddamn high. So even yeah. though you have a legit job, you can't fucking afford it anyway because that's it's terrible. Yep. Carlos lived in an unused sewer pipe that was roughly six feet tall by five feet wide, and wow. so even though it's small, it was actually really good space because he can swing the pipe lid shut which creates an effective hideout with good insulation. He's living in like a little tube. He's able, he's the one who runs a refrigerator using the electricity that he tapped into from an outlet down the tunnel. They make little tiny houses out of that sort of thing now. Yeah, it's yeah. basically yeah, he's, he's ahead of the, yeah. the curve. They're all ahead of the curve. They're all living in tiny houses. I hear that, I don't know, uh, maybe I should do a whole thing on it, but like tiny houses, they don't have plumbing a lot of the time. So oh, no, they've like... Same deal here is there's no plumbing. I mean, there may be like they have electricity, but they don't have an, a flushing toilet. Mm-mm. Well, they don't don't com- uh, tiny houses have like compost toilets. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to otherwise go to the BP. <laughs> <laughs> so the last person I had to talk about was Mark Singer, but we already talked about him. 
Um, but again, his documentary is called Dark Days. Um, it came out in 2000. It's available on Amazon Prime right now. And you should watch it because you really like you, you really get to know there's even more people in the documentary that I didn't mention here. Um, and they all, you know, they all have stories to tell. And yeah, it sounds very you know, interesting. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so just to wrap up, obviously, the city and transit authorities don't want people living in the tunnels. And there have been rounds of evictions over the years with efforts made to get them into housing. Suck it, Bloomberg. <laughs> and the consensus does seem to be that there are far fewer people living underground now than there were 30 to 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. But homelessness and affordable housing is still a huge problem in New mm-hmm. York City. Well, everywhere. Um, as of t- October 2019... There were 2,178 people living in the subway system below the city, a 20% increase over the previous year. So that also includes, I think that probably includes the people who are actually living underground, but that also includes the people who sleep in the subways. Yeah. So when you're faced with the choice of life on the streets or life in a shelter, I can see how life underground looks like a good option. Yeah. Same. Same. I, I mean, like, be, I, I get it. I would yeah. be willing to give it a try. If, if I was faced with the option of living on the streets in New York, I would be willing to try going underground, I think. I think so, too. I um, think living above ground would be terrifying. Ooh, I, I agree. Yeah. I think that sounds far scarier. If I, yeah. New York's scary as fuck. I mean, like, it's yeah. a nice place. It's, it's fun to visit and stuff, but it's like, it is very overwhelming, can be very disorienting. There are tons of people it's very, you know, it can be, especially for, yeah. you know, a vulnerable person. Chew you up and spit you out. Yeah. So that's all I got. Well, cool. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I like when I, uh, I like doing something that's more interesting than gross every once in a while. Yeah. Palette, palette cleanser. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to hopefully ratchet up the sickening notch here. I think you might. Sickening. So let me set this set the scene for you this is the summer of 2013 the residents of kingston upon thames they were having a little trouble flushing their tartlets okay a little bit of trouble so around august 6th local hero gordon halewood and a crew of sewer sewer workers discovered what uh exactly the issue was it was something that was 15 metric tons which is uh, the equivalent of 17 U.S. tons, if you didn't know, which I didn't know. So. I did not. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, so they're kind of similar, you know, 15, 17. But that's essentially the size of a bus. 15 buses of something. It's or a, it's the equivalent of one bus. It's a bus. Okay, okay. It's a bus. And it blocked 95% of the sewer pipe, uh, which was 2.4 meters in diameter. And it consisted mainly of food fat and pre-moistened butt wipes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They called it the fatberg. (laughs) Oh, that's what the fatberg is. Yeah. That's my whole. So this is going to be all about. Oh, okay. This is the fatberg. And uh, so it took. I thought I was the fatberg. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's your last name. (laughs) Berg. Oh. Oh. No. So, Yes. (laughs) So the Fatberg, by the way, there's there's more than one of them. I know. This is not the Fatberg. You were, you know, <laughs> even though you just said that you thought you were the, there are many. <laughs> it took three weeks of work with high-powered water jets to clear this particular Fatberg and six weeks to repair the sewer. And if they hadn't found it in time, raw sewage could have started spewing out of the manholes and drain pipes like some, you know, unholy poop fountain, you know. 
You know, like like the yeah. little fountains that kids play in no, in the city. I do. My question is, it's just feces coming up and <laughs> liquid diarrhea instead. Yeah, you know, it's, nostalgic summer memories. You know, yeah. like the bog of eternal stench and yeah, labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, covered in poop. So my question is, would this have been? all of the manholes or was it a specific neighborhood that it would have happened in um it was the city of the of um kingston upon thames so it it could have been like you know probably some areas would have got it worse than others okay. <laughs> but yeah it could have been pretty detrimental it could have could have been a hot mess um so simon evans who is the thames water spokesperson said i have witnessed one it's a heaving, sick-smelling, rotting mass. Okay, I'm not going to do the accent. That was bad. Very bad. Uh, but basically said, I like the way they spell feces, by the way. It's a heaving, sick-smelling, rotting mass of filth and faeces. They, British people spell feces like F-A-E-C. Like fairies? Faeces, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fairies. Any time they are, yeah, spelling a... They do the same with encyclopedia. Yeah. And pedophile. Pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, British people. I do love the way you speak. Well, yeah. It's they, just the differences are fun. Yeah. And they're probably like, and you guys sound like asshole rubes. So. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, <laughs> it's fine. So he says, um, yeah, it's this rotting mass of mass of filth and feces. It hits the back of your throat. It's gross. It's steaming and unleashes an unimaginable stink. <laughs> so I also read an article. Uh, my various sources for this include mostly articles of the Guardian dot co dot uk and also smithsonian magazine who offered this quote it looks like an explosion at the crisco factory globby whitish material clinging to the sides of sewer tunnels waxy chunks breaking off and moving slowly towards on sluggish rivers of grease it's looks i looked at various you know videos and pictures for y'all you know because that's what i do i take one for the team and it was really fucking nasty, like really gross. There, it's just like, ugh. Imagine all the fat in the poop and the butt wipes and yeah. I, I can't, we have fat traps at my job. Yeah. And they train and train them. They train them to do unspeakable tasks. No, <laughs> they drain them like once a month. They change them out. Yeah. And the smell is the fucking most. I don't know if any of you guys have ever worked anywhere where they have fat traps. Oh, uh, no. But it's the most fucking nasty thing you've ever smelled in your goddamn life. So yeah. Heinous. So at my work, our team used to work in this sort of like not not satellite office it's not like it was far from the other offices but it definitely wasn't with the rest and so we were above a kidoba and a subway and a pita pit Ooh, oh, okay. and so there was it made no- everything smell good <laughs> so there was a grease trap in the back and yes and it would get cleaned out regularly and yes that is the worst smell it is so bad so just add in the actual smell of actual feces on top of the disgusting smell of a fat trap yeah so okay, Ugh. so the next thing I'm going to get into is specifically what the fatberg is made out of. So, UK the UK's sewage system is thousands of years old. There are at the time of the article that I read it um as of I believe it was 2017, 40,000 blockages per year are removed and they're becoming more and more common. And they're caused by things flushed down the toilet that shouldn't be. So like in addition to the grease and the butt wipes is also like tampons, pads, used condoms, cotton swabs, nappies, you know, or diapers. They call them nappies, diapers, 
um which i don't know why you would fucking like flush a diaper down the toilet like <sighs> they refer to it it's such a serious business they refer to it as sewer abuse crime over there <laughs> which i thought was cute so specifically how the fatberg is formed the fat that you cook with you know is liquid when it's hot right so you think it's fine to dump down the drain wrong you're very wrong don't do it don't do it because once it solidifies and gets cool it does just that it's a solid now and so it can clog up your pipes like no problem and so when these butt wipes come in contact with like a, a, a bifurcation or a joint in the pipes. It'll just get caught on that, on that little corner there. And then the fat will get caught on the butt wipes. And then the butt wipes and the tampons and the condoms will get caught on that. And then just more and more just build up and build up and build up. And it's just like this. That's what, and it just like fills these, like forms these fatty, like, poopy stalactites like filled with you know like butt wipes just like they form mostly on the ceiling so they're like yeah they're stalactites not stalagmites not stalagmites because there's water down below so down below there's like you know water being mixed up you know oh oh my god can you imagine the water Uh, nope i don't want to so the rise in the whole butt wipe thing, like basically in, it seemed like in the 2010s, like butt wipes were just all the rage in the UK. They were super into them. They loved them. All these butt wipes on the packages, they advertised that they were flushable. They were, you know, Mari Povich polygraph said they were all lies, all lies. They were actually not flushable because they all contain plastic, which does not break down ever. So the ancient sewer system is just, you know, really no match for that. And uh, it's an ongoing problem. So as recently as October 29th, 2019, 40 metric tons or the equivalent of three of those like red double decker buses or 13 African elephants. You know, they they found <laughs> they found a, a, a fatberg that size. Um, they also found one in 2019 earlier, early in 2019 uh, in Liverpool. That was the size of a jumbo jet. Jesus. In 2017, in Whitechapel, or, you know, if you may have heard of Whitechapel, that's the Jack, Jack River area, uh, they found a 250-meter long fatberg. That's like two football fields. Football fields. Uh, mm-hmm. One Guardian article said that, basically said one of my favorite British phrases, the city's aging Victorian sewers were, quote, struggling to cope. <laughs> so I say it's struggling to cope. That's not cope. That sounds about right. <laughs> I just love the way they put things. It's so literal and so blunt, yet like eloquent sometimes at the same time. Well, and really kind of like understating, you know, they're, yeah. because they're not prone to dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say that again. They're not prone to dramatics. Yeah, yeah. Struggling to cope. So personally, I was not really surprised to learn this. I've been to London and I could tell the plumbing was not great when I was there. Every toilet's like one of those low flow ones, you know, and which is good. But you there's two flush buttons. Have you ever seen a toilet with two flush buttons? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 The ones for the pee and the ones for the poop. Or you flush down both. If you if you press both at the same time, it'll be a poop flush. I remember, so I couch surfed the first time I went to London. I, st- I, I like I stayed at random people's houses that I met on the <laughs> internet. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it was safe. It was awesome. I had a great time. But yeah, um, like so, the one person's house, you had to basically to regulate the temperature of the shower, you had to turn on the kitchen faucet and like 
regulate the heat there and then go upstairs and get in the shower. It was really weird. And the other guy's house, when you took a shower, there was a separate knob for the temperature and for like the pressure. So you could turn it on and, you know, it would just kind of like come out. But if you want to turn on the pressure, it made this really loud, vibrating, crazy noise. And it sounded like the pipes were going to explode. So I just took like a really weak, you know, pressure shower. I didn't want to turn it on. So it's just like I was not surprised that, you know, this this sewer system It's just like the pressure and the age of it all is just it's no match for your butt wipe. So. What had to happen was a media campaign was launched to uh, inform the public and and encourage the public to flush responsibly, so to speak. Do you guys know who Andy Serkis is? No, vaguely. I've heard the name, but no, I do not really. He's he's an actor. You you probably wouldn't recognize his face because he does a lot of um, motion capture stuff. But he was the guy behind Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he also did, um, in all the newer uh, Planet of the Apes movie, he was the chimp Caesar. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also- That ape made me cry. D- oh, did it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think Brock watched all of them, and he, he did weep as well. He might have just felt emotional, but I don't want to put words into his mouth, but he, he liked them. Um, I watched parts of them, but they were very fucking bleak, man. Bleak. I said cried, not laughed. <laughs> Any hooters. So yeah, Andy, Andy Zergis, very talented. In this, he is the voice of this particular campaign about flushing things responsibly. And he is playing a talking asshole. <laughs> a literal talking butthole? See, that's what I thought when I first read about it. And then I actually went to the website and it's a lot less gross than, than I imagined. Like, I imagine like... The shit that comes out of his mouth. I hate you. I was literally like, yeah, exactly. I was imagining like, I don't know, like some kind of like a CGI butthole that was kind of photorealistic. And I don't know, maybe my mind just went there because I was looking for gross things. (laughs) But what it actually was is it's just like an animated asterisk. Really, oh. it's very, very generic. It's just like a little asterisk. And Andy is quoted as saying he's very proud to be this asshole because it's important to him to protect the oceans, which is rad. So you can go to beagoodasshole.com and find out <laughs> what is flushable. And I went to this website, you know, because I did my research. And if you like the asshole is right there and you can like click it with your mouse and it says, hey, I'm an asshole. <laughs> and then it like also goes like it goes like Mwah. Like, it makes kissy noises, and it'll go, like, it'll make, like, little, like, turd noise. It's kind of cute. Very cheeky, as, you know, as they say. But cheeky. But cheeky. And uh, you can make your own asshole profile pic, which is basically just, like, the asterisk, but you change the, the skin tone color. <laughs> this is stupid. By the way, I've been dunking on, like, the UK and England for this whole time, but, like, these fratbergs have occur elsewhere. You know, they've been found in America and Australia and stuff. Basically places that, frankly, have a high-fat diet. Hello. I found the asshole. You found it? You yeah, had to be at, yeah. Yeah, listen. It is a little butt kissy noise. And it is a little asterisk. Beagoodasshole.com. Be a good asshole. Don't yeah. type the www in because that'll lead you to a 404. Just be a good asshole.com. All right. You're going to talk about what can I flush? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. What you can flush. So 
keeping this is actually from not from the website but from from the guardian uk but keeping drains clear so like animal fats and vegetable oil lard grease butter margarine food scraps and dairy products all contribute to block drains fatbergs and sewer blockages waste disposal units do not remove fats so you basically have to like you know dump them out into a receptacle let them solidify and throw them away in the bin uh wipes diapers slash nappies if you're british sanitary towels rags and condoms do not break down easily aka do not break down at all like that's plastic doesn't break down period and can uh snag on pipes drains in the walls of sewers leading to blockages these are all direct quotes from the instructions on the guardian uk so i just want to make sure i'm citing properly pesticides battery acids nail polish motor oil chlorine base and other cleaning products paints and photographic chemicals are all toxic waste and should be disposed of carefully because they don't break down in sewage systems and can pollute rivers and if you have a septic tank you got to be extra careful don't flush medicines coffee grounds paper towels or eggshells or anything that breaks down slowly because that could cause like some badness in your septic system and then you're gonna have to hire a guy to literally like get one of those digger machines and like dig out the fucking back of your um of your backyard so yeah so now you know what not to flush and that goes for anywhere you know don't flush your tampons don't flush your tampons seriously like i know people of my age that still flush your tampons don't do that yeah i mean yeah i i used to and then you know and then i realized that i shouldn't it is it's unfortunate because we were like marketing led us to believe that so many things were flushable yeah mm-hmm. and we they were, were marketed lies. we were i mean remember like the cardboard applicator tampons were marketed that the applicator was flushable actually yep. the applicator is probably more flushable than the tampon but yeah but I, I mean you shouldn't flush any of it no like do you talk about this how does the marketing get away with that like well, saying something that's not true they did well they got away with it because there was no law to begin with and after all of this happened certain areas and certain places i i don't have them exact cited but like i did find uh various cities sued i believe it was um in utah somewhere wyoming or utah sued procter and gamble yeah specifically and they said um, you can't have this on your packaging because it's fucking misleading. Well, I Good. can't even I'm I feel like like even people who incurred personal plumbing costs because right. of like women in the house flushing tampons, for yeah. example. You They're know, like, I got some fudgy poops, you know, I got to have the wet wipes and wipe my butt. You but know, I'm surprised. <laughs> but I'm surprised that like individuals haven't sued like companies for that too like they they might said, have. like you like yeah you said this was flushable and all of a sudden i'm like paying the plumber thousands of dollars to unclog my system like if, that's, if that's I, bullshit if i go hunting i'm sure there are some yeah. lawsuits i'm I, I mean obviously if there's been legislation passed in various places there had to be there has to be um so the last thing i'm going to talk about with this is that the the when i first found out about the fatberg the reason why i figured found out about it is i saw a news article that was like this fat park is going to be in a museum do you remember hearing about this uh, no what yeah so the museum of london they wanted to preserve a piece of the fatberg so the museum felt that it was important to show that it's an issue that really can't and shouldn't be ignored when i first heard that they were going to have a fatberg on display in the this museum i in my head I imagine like just like a massive like because they talked about it. It's this. It's a big as big as a bus. So I imagine as big as a bus in like a giant hall. And I kept thinking like, how are they going to display that? So that 
was is actually not how they display it. They <laughs> they had the Thames Water Authority collect some of the samples um, that are roughly like a foot in length. They so they just had them go like tink 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 like you know break off a little piece of that poop bird. So they had to think really creatively on how to display it because like they kept they had even after having it for a few days like some maggots and flies started emerging from it (laughs) like it's so toxic um it's disgusting they dried it out and they examined it they x-rayed it they discovered that it was made out of 62 62 percent fat 19 percent ash and grit from the road and about 10 percent water and like other items of that fat 53 percent is palmitic acid which is fat from cooking meat and butter but also from some hair conditioners and the second highest fat is oleic acid from olive oil so it's the fat bird the little piece that they have is displayed under a glass encasement because yeah it's, it is a biohazard and whenever they were handling it they were like wearing full you know like spaceman suits you know with like masks and everything and gloves um those white you know like hazmat suits and they did have a live cam on it 24-7. Like, you could look at it. If you didn't want to go and visit it, you could look at it on the internet. But the Fatberg actually isn't on display anymore. It was taken down in July of 2018 when it started to grow a toxic yellow mold. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <sighs> talk, Which, about, talk about a science experiment. I thought that was really good. Um, but it was really, really popular when it was there. Like people really wanted to see it and they thought it was super interesting. And they could, you know, they could make another piece of it and put that on display if they wanted to. So wait, but that's not all. That's I have, not all. There's yeah. more. I have a good ending to the story. Like I have kind of like a happy, like fun ending to this is that um, they are already starting to turn these fatbergs into renewable energy. So London was already collecting grease from McDonald's. One consortium plans to generate 130 gigawatt hours from renewable electricity, like just from the biofuel that they collect from McDonald's and from their grease, which can run uh, 39,000 average size homes. And that is uh, burning roughly 30 tons metric tons a day of fat, oil, and grease. And... (laughs) It's like collected from first they started with McDonald's, but then it like expanded to restaurant, hospital and stadium and factory kitchens. And it only kind of makes sense that they could use that concentrated fat of fatbergs for the same purpose because it is so concentrated. I mean, like this one Smithsonian video was like, it's so rich in fat. Like talking like it's like so great. I'm like, oh, it's disgusting. So rich in fat, like like a cake. Yeah, I guess it's just so like so lardy. Like butter. God damn it. Oh, I'm sorry. Like butter. I jumped your line. You did. So um, the way that they turn it into biofuel works like this. Fog, which stands for fats, oils, and greases, are the building blocks of the fatbergs. And they're heated between 90 and 110 degrees Celsius, which is way fucking hot. Like, if I know we're American. So Fahrenheit, I don't know. Virgo, do the math for me. I don't feel like doing it right now. Um, then uh, hydrogen peroxide is added to break down the organic matter and release fatty acids. Bacteria are then used to break down the fatty acids, producing methane or, you know, poop gas. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, so several companies are doing this. A Canadian one even says they have the most efficient method yet where you don't even have to like excavate the poop separately. You can just like, I don't know, direct pump from the, the fatberg into your, you know, methane factory. I don't know. A Scottish company turns uh, the fatberg into bus biofuel, which, you know, is powering London buses. The people that live there are getting around on their own poots. That's oh, amazing. That's really waste. cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it is kind of like a happy ending, even though, like, you have to, you have to still don't be an asshole be a good asshole be a good asshole and flush stuff but at the same time it's sort of like recycling is here where you know we can as individuals do the best we can to recycle but when in reality you need to vote for it and encourage legislation that will force companies and corporations to recycle responsibly responsibly and um, deal with their race waste in responsible way so you know that's always something i like to add on like is every obviously everybody tries to do their best and you know recycle and you know not flush stuff down the turdlet but at the same time there's like terrible companies that are skirting laws because they can and we need to keep an eye on that and keep that keep them in check and because that's how we're gonna you know really save america is by changing legislation not by doing small things like recycling individually even though you still should right or sh- or shaming people for using straws. Right. I'm just yeah, exactly. I'm just saying don't shame people, don't feel so guilty when you have to throw some shit away because you know like literally society and capitalism doesn't make it easy for you to to recycle. They're not making it easy for you as an individual to do it at all and they're making you feel guilty for not doing it when it, they're in fact making it really hard for you to do it. So just like fucking, you know, do your best. Do your best, really. But try not to sweat it so much. What you should sweat is voting for good politicians and legislation that are going to um, deal with environmental issues and climate change. Ba-boom. Word. Word, Word. Um, So that's the end. I thought that was pretty fucking gross. I definitely, during my whole research, I was like, ooh, oh my God, gross. I watched some really gross videos. I grossed myself out. So I feel like that's, you know, I did my due diligence my sickness for the week <laughs> it was very gross but you ended on such a positive note that i feel good as an after effect yeah good yeah and i think anyone who's smelled a grease trap uh knows just how like i, I can't stop thinking about that smell. Yeah. i've yet to smell a grease trap oh, i don't want to i don't want to i never worked in food just service. well i mean i even like i had to smell it all the time and i wasn't working in food service You're i just, just happened yeah. to be food service. Just happened, adjacent yeah. yeah you were food adjacent Look, i'll tell you what You've smelled. Have you ever go walking through Oakland on a hot summer day? Mm-hmm. You're going to smell the grease traps. Yeah. From, you know, all the various establishments. So AFC. Kintaco Hut, which is not R.I.P. Oh, God, that R.I.P. like 15 years ago. At I, least. Know. I know. Yeah, I know. Like Showing my age. 15 years ago. I, I don't remember. I'm, I was too young for that. Shut we up. That, <laughs> Kinta- that Kentaco hut was definitely there when you were at Pitt. Shut she's, up. She's 29. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. Anyway. Thank you, Heather. That was really gross. Yeah. Welcome. Okay. Well, you guys, um, it was sick. No, I don't know if I'd say sick and nang, but definitely sick this week. So, so props. But do we want to end on an extremely super happy positive note? Yes. Okay, well then what sick things in a good way have happened to y'all? I have one. Okay. Okay. That was a good one. Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, this, these white claws are really making me irpy. I don't know why. I've been 
we've all been burping a lot. Anyways, so the sickest thing of the week for me is I uh, follow a lot of taxidermy groups on Facebook, as you guys know, because I think it's, you know, very interesting. And uh, somebody posted a link to this little, it's basically this program that somebody wrote that is a digital skull that you can manipulate around. I post on Facebook. You can ma- you can manipulate it around in any in any like position that you put the skull in and then you could like search which animal that you want to see and then it'll give you search results like for the animal in that position. So it's like if you're an artist it's really good for like drawing references and stuff like that. So um and cuz literally I have like spent hours lurking for the perfect reference trying to figure out like the the a good angle looking at it and they had like any animal you wanted almost you know there was like alligators like wolves and pumas and stuff um so but that's not even the coolest thing that's not even the sickest thing the sickest thing is our friend Beth Squarecki uh who writes for Life Hacker was like hey I want to try I want to kind of I might want to write about this can you do you know who who made this? So uh, Virgo and I both like went looking to figure out who made it. And Virgo discovered that the reason why the person made it was so he could draw um, gay furry porn. <laughs> That's incredible. Is Beth, gonna, yes. is Beth writing about this for Lifehacker? I don't know. I don't know. She hasn't responded back to that aspect like after he revealed that part. But like when I first looked, I was like, oh, maybe this guy's just like a gamer and he's like a game developer and he like draws like characters and stuff. But then then Virgo looked at it and he's like, no, this guy, he did this to draw furry, gay furry porn. I'm so delighted. I know. It just was like made my week. It was so oh. funny. I loved it. It was just like, wow. I just love it. Was And it's a really great tool. Like I know I'm going to use it in the future whenever like doing sketches and stuff like that. It's it's awesome. And now you're just going to think about gay furry porn while yeah. you're doing it as well. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That's pretty sick. Mm. That, that's, I like that. Mine is, mine, mine is much less entertaining. But <laughs> it, I, it, I don't always have such a good one. It, it made me happy and it made other people really annoyed with me, which is great. So um, I talked about this on a previous episode, but I went on a work conference last week to Phoenix. And one of the features of our work conferences is that uh, at night, there's usually some sort of like fun, you know, dinner slash like activity that is set up for everyone there. And so uh, the one night the theme was like tailgate, like tailgating theme. Yeah. So sports, sports. Ugh. Well, but it was but it was really fun because we had there's like lawn games and stuff. So they had like giant Jenga and giant connect four. Oh, OK. That's fun. Yeah. Then. So at one point, anyone who knows me knows that I'm not like I'm not a super competitive person like on the surface until I get roped into competition and then I get competitive. When the competition gets formal, you're like, I'm going to take it serious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't seek it out. But if I'm in it. OK. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you're down to clown. So we start playing Connect Giant Connect Four, and I, I honestly like I, I don't know how I did this. I did not go in with a strategy, but I just started like beating people like in under a minute. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, I was just and 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 they were like, "What the fuck? Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> and so then finally, like uh, one of my coworkers challenged me. Uh, Hi, Ross. I don't think he listens, but anyway. Uh, and he he actually he gave me a run for my money. Everyone thought I was going to stalemate. And then all of a sudden I, you know, I check I checkmated him. Essentially, he had no way out. 
Wow. And I won. And then I retired. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is stressing me out. And then my coworkers were mad because they didn't get a chance to beat me. Oh my God. Yeah, you retired on so top. I felt I felt really good. You were a ringer. They had no clue. I didn't know I was gonna do it. I don't That's know awesome. what I was yeah. doing. Champ. Anyway. Please don't ever ask me to play Connect Four again. <laughs> I will only ask you to play Connect Four. Oh, okay. And no other leisure activities. Yeah, now that we know you're the champ, now I gotta beat you sometime. Yeah, I gotta beat you. All right. You got to defend your title. No, I don't. (laughs) JB, anything sick? No, I got nothing this week. Nothing. That's all right. You had sick in a... I had a poopy pants. You had a good poopy story. So So if you, dear listeners, enjoyed this and would like to learn more about us, where, where could they find out more information, Justine? Well, first of all, you've already done a great job because you are listening to us. Um, And so in that case... Why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button? That would be awesome because then you'll never miss a single episode of this. We drop new ones every Sunday. And if you liked what you heard, you can also give us a five-star rate and review. That would be sweet. You can find us on Twitter at ThatSickPod and on Instagram at ThatSickPodcast. And you can always email us at that's.sick.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We really, really would. So until next week, don't flush the wrong shit down the toilet because. That's That's sick. sick.